As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. Leaving big bank earnings reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who want to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today you're in for a treat because I'm sitting down with Sarah Kirschbaum-Levy, the CEO of Betterment, the nation's largest independent digital investment advisor. Under Sarah's leadership, Betterment's growth has skyrocketed with $33 billion in assets under management and more than 700,000 clients. Sarah's street cred is unmatched as former COO of Nickelodeon and Viacom Media Networks, where she oversaw iconic brands we all know and love, including MTV, Comedy Central, and BET. Today, I'm so thrilled for her to share her own story as we also celebrate her one-year anniversary as CEO of Betterment. Sarah, welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you for having me, Nicole. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. First off, how are you today? Where are you located? Are you based in New York City? I am. I'm doing great. I'm based in New York City. Um, today, I'm calling you from home, although usually uh, I head into the office, you know, just loving the hybrid life. Oh, nice. Nice. Love that. How many times do you go to the office typically? I'm usually there three or four days a week. Um, we, we serve lunch three days a week, and it's amazing what free lunch will do in terms of attracting people to the office. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is great. That is a great tip for those working on that hybrid environment workplace. Free lunch, obviously. Amazing. All right. So just to start off, I do want to dive into your personal story because I believe that is so critical to your success as an industry leader. I understand you grew up in a home where passion and work coexisted, which is amazing. Will you tell us about that experience and how that upbringing really shapes you as a leader today? Absolutely. So my parents, um, I grew up in New York City and my parents, my father was a book publisher and my mother was an antiques dealer. I shouldn't say was because she's still an antiques dealer. If you if you thought about like what they wanted to do on the weekends, these were really their passions. My father would, you know, read a book or browse a bookstore and my mother would, um, you know, roam the fairs, the antiques fairs. And so, you know, that really informed me in terms of how do you find a career that really sparks your passion. And so I started my career in media. And then as you see, I've migrated to FinTech, but they're both areas where, you know, if I weren't working in these areas, I'd be following them anyway, passionately. So I think that's a great, that's a great recipe for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think we're, that is becoming so much more clear um, as we are kind of emerging from pandemic life and entering hybrid life and uh, work and life are coexisting so much more. And it's so important to to find an area where uh, your passion can really flourish in the workplace. And that's how you kind of get into what you have done, right? With such an impressive background, going to Harvard for economics and then going back for your MBA before heading off into a nearly 20 year career at Nickelodeon, one of the most beloved brands in media. Tell us the story of your aha moment when you realized you could build your career around making people's lives better through your passions and through value-driven products. 
Well, if I think about my early career, I actually started at Disney even before my Nickelodeon days and, you know, was drawn to Nickelodeon having spent a few years at Disney, really believing that a great brand um, that loves its audience was a place I wanted to be. And and so, you know, at, at the time, um, we believed that at Nickelodeon, what's good for kids is good for business. And that was just a really resonant idea for me and was one of the ideas that drew me to Nickelodeon. And so as I was thinking about my next career, move, which, you know, is is admittedly somewhat unconventional to have jumped from media to fintech, which we can talk about. You know, again, I was looking for a place that I believed in and I was looking for a place that had, you know, a mission and a value system that really resonated. And I found Betterment. And, and as you said, you know, our mission is to make people's lives better. And I think that's like an incredibly lofty, exciting mission. Um, and that was really the spark that that started for me on my journey to fintech. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I can't wait to get into that a bit deeper. Um, but first, I do want to address the part where you really have been spending your career preparing for a CEO role. And shout out to also your stint at Disney. That's amazing. I love that. Um, of, what, of course, you've been a part of like every great storytelling brand um, in media. So your expertise has really been in scaling and building those high growth operations while also brand building between operations and branding. Which area is a heavier lift and which do you think will become more critical to fintechs moving forward? Well, I think it's hard. It's sort of like asking me to, you know, pick between my, which child do you like better, right? Is like which function is more important? I, I think that's that's actually a pretty tough question um, because I think really both are important. So, you know, I'll start with operations really because that's how I grew up in my career, um, but not not because I think it's more important or, or less important. You know, operations is about serving your customer ultimately with excellence, and you know, hearkening back to to those early days at Disney, and you think about the theme parks and you think about the perfection that that we were striving for there at Disney in terms of, you know, not a piece of garbage on the sidewalk, right? I think now when you apply that going forward, you think about, you know, a customer um, experience and answering the phones and being able to respond to customers, you know, with really quick turnaround times and really delivering that sort of moment of delight for your customer. I think that really is what operations fundamentally are all about. You know, there's a there's an efficiency part and there's a scale part. And, and I did sort of train my whole career for that. But I think ultimately it comes back to the customer. Um, when I think about the brand, I think what really distinguishes great businesses are, you know, brands that have meaning, brands that offer inspiration and that offer inspiration both for your employees and then also for your customers. And so, you know, I think about Nickelodeon and, you know, why I went there. People used to say, why'd you go to Disney? Why'd you go to Nickelodeon? You know, those were just brands that made you smile, right? And so why did I come to Betterment? The mission of making people's lives better and sort of financial independence, you know, that's that's another idea that just makes you smile. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why, um, obviously, when you first took over as CEO of Betterment, I think there was some shock, right? Like, oh, how, how come it, they didn't, how come it wasn't someone out in financial services already or already in fintech? I, not so shocked. I totally see the alignment. I totally see how um, media and fintech are becoming more intertwined than really ever before because they're both, and maybe fintech took a little longer to get there, becoming mission driven. 
And that is such an influence in fintech today. And it's the whole reason we're here, right? Like the whole reason I even you know, started this podcast is the same reason why you joined Betterment, right? Is to help build a world where everyone has access to financial freedom and inclusion and happiness and building that foundation of a sustainable life, which finance is so critical to. So kudos to you on, on that transition. And I'm here to say I'm not surprised. I, I think that you joining FinTech is exactly what the industry needs. So thank you for that. Um, you have hit your one-year anniversary as CEO of Betterment. So congratulations on all of the success. We are cheersing to, to the one-year anniversary. So now looking back on the last year, what is maybe the initiative or moment or product rollout that makes you the most proud or excited and why? I think I would point to our socially responsible investing portfolio launch, which, if I'm being really honest, predated my arrival. So it, it actually coincided with my arrival. I um, I d- did just hit my one year mark as CEO, but I was here for about six weeks prior to that in more of a consulting capacity. And during those six weeks, sort of one of the first things I saw was the imminent launch of the socially responsible investing portfolios. And, you know, this dovetails nicely with your question about brand and brand building, right? When I saw the, the emerging work, right, when I arrived, I thought, wow, this is exciting and this is a moment for this brand to really take that next step. And and so, you know, this was the fastest growing portfolio we've ever launched. You know, we attracted more than a billion dollars in less than five months into the portfolio. And I think, you know, there are a couple lessons from that. You know, the first relates to this sort of values and resonance. Um, you know, this is a generation who is who wants to be activists, um, who wants to believe in the businesses they associate with and affiliate with. And, you know, the socially responsible investing really kind of hits that note, right? We have a climate portfolio, we have a social justice portfolio, um, and we have a broad a, a broad impact portfolio. And you, when you think about those together, right, these are the movements of our time. These are the movements that this generation wants to be involved in. But the next thing about it that was really exciting for me was to really see how kind of personalization and choice, which was not part of the Betterment DNA historically, was sort of the beginning of a future opportunity for the business. And so I think if you were to ask me, like, it was that germ of an idea that sparked kind of our next wave of growth. But I think that, you know, what I'm most excited about was sort of taking the thread from there and thinking about how do we apply that more broadly to the personalized investing journey of the future for our for our audience. And and that's what becomes really exciting as we build from here. Well, and it's so important, right, to have that um, those impact investing, to have those values like you said, threaded throughout the company entirely. I'd love to hear you talk about the um, SRI portfolios a little bit more and maybe like where do you see the future of those expanding? Do you see them expanding into you know, other areas of the business or what's kind of your, I guess, ideal uh, there if you're able to share a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, the most exciting thing I think about the socially responsible investing space is that it's really evolving, right? I think we're we're in early innings, and so step one was launching three portfolios, um, but step two for us was this year we we partnered with Engine Number One, which was the shareholder activist uh, company behind the Exxon Mobil, you know, the famous sort of Exxon Mobil um, board seat 
changes. And, and I think their concept there, they launched an ETF called Vote, and we've incorporated that ETF into each of our portfolios. And the idea behind Vote is you can be in a long-term diversified portfolio, but at the same time, you can actually be active in having a voice. And, and what they're trying to do is really channel the collective energy behind investors and, and use that for good. And so the idea of sort of passive investing and yet active impact, I think is a really exciting kind of next phase for us. And I think we're just scratching the surface of, you know, talking to our customers about what are the areas you care about and not surprisingly, climate rises to the top. But for some of our, you know, o- the older end of our cohort, um, it, things like Medicare and and health insurance, and you know, those are areas of interest. So I think there's really we're just at the beginning of that journey, and that's where so where socially responsible investing really excites me. Right, and you know, in all the companies you've worked for, we have seen that common thread of products bringing uh, more impact, more value, more happiness to people's lives. And as I said before, right, it doesn't surprise me you went from media to fintech because the industries are so um, intertwined more than ever before. Do you plan kind of thinking of the SRI portfolios and your excitement around that? Do you plan on leveraging more media platforms to scale Betterment and its ability to share that brand message and stories and mission to the masses? Definitely. I would say, you know, the thing about brand building that I love is it is really consistent across industries, right? And so, you know, where we started at the top of our conversation is around like what makes a great brand, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think about that as a brand with with a resonant mission and with values that you know, can help you both build an internal culture and kind of excite passion with your consumer base. And so when I got to Betterment, right, that was like a clear check, right? We excel, the mission is exciting and lofty and inspiring. And, and it really like allows us to continue to raise the bar, right? The idea of, of even the word Betterment is about constantly improving. Like it's such a beautiful word in that sense. Um, so that's kind of where you start with a great brand. But then, you know, more specifically to your question, like, you know, then how do you take that brand, right? The next step is really who's your audience and how do you connect with that audience? And so that's the work that we've really spent a lot of time on this year, um, you know, really focusing on who who is the, the customer we want to serve and how do we serve them better, right? They're digital savvy. They want an easy to use product. They want their mobile first, right? All of that is table stakes. They're values driven, right? And they want to align with brands that they love. And, and you know, the socially responsible investing plays to that. And then the third piece, um, you know, which is really where you're headed is how do I now reach that audience? Right. Who, who, what do I want to say? And then where are they? And what I think you're going to see from us this year, um, is going to be really exciting in terms of, you know, we're going to reach them where they are in kind of new and unexpected places. And I think that is something I bring kind of from the the media business. This year, we spent a lot of time on our own channels, right? Really developing our social voice, building a social team so that we could connect with that audience. But I think as you think about, you know, we have a really exciting campaign rolling out in a couple of weeks um, that I think is ownable and is inspiring, but you'll see it in podcasting. You'll see it on connected TV. You know, I think you're going to start to see partnerships with, you know, maybe unexpected content partnerships. And I think that's where we have an ability to really reach new audiences and and break out of this kind of the same four walls we've been talking to. 
Oh, I love that. All right, guys, you heard it from Sarah herself that what is coming up next on their content roadmap that is super exciting. Can't wait to see the campaign and all of the interesting folks that you partner with. It is, I imagine, going to be unlike anything else. So especially with you at the helm. So I'm thrilled to hear it. As we've kind of been talking about, right, is that um, fintech user being so attuned with the fintechs that they use and engage with. And, um, you know, it's why your background is so important with the branding and storytelling, because it's more critical than ever to ensure that your company's values are reflective of that customer that you want to attract. And that customer is changing. And you've already laid out, you know, how you choose that audience or, or how you kind of align with the audience more so. And then how do you reach them? Um, but kind of taking a step internally, how do you navigate scaling that fast growing fintech that's doing all this content and doing all these amazing things and SRI and reach, reach, reach while keeping the culture uh, and values internally intact? That's got to be kind of like challenging sometimes when things are moving so fast to kind of scale back and be like, but guys, you know, remember who we are. I imagine that can be hard sometimes. Well, I almost sometimes I want to pinch myself because I feel really lucky that, you know, I came to a place where our founder, John Stein, was really incredibly thoughtful about building a culture that was that was enduring, you know, and, and that's a methodical, um, thoughtful process. And I think, you know, as we transitioned to COVID and, and imagine a company getting a new CEO in the middle of COVID who they had never met. Right. That's sort of an unusual thing unto itself. But I think that our culture really was what held everyone together, coming back to mission and values, right? If you believe and you're a true believer in what we're trying to accomplish, I think it makes it easier to sort of weather the storm of, of hybrid, hybrid and technology changes and roadmap changes. And so, you know, the, the innovation here just powers everything we do. Um, great discussion is a hallmark of the culture. And I think in some ways, Zoom life has almost um, improved that, which is an odd thing to say, but it's allowed yeah. for more voices in the room, even if we're not literally in the room, right? It's it's allowed for different forms of participation. Um, and so so I think, you know, there's so many aspects of culture, right? I mean, we could we could talk about diversity and inclusion. We could talk about, you know, alignment around emission. But I think like one of the really nice things is that was all here and it was almost like, you know, mine to screw up. So let's hope I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly you were doing a very good job. Um, and I, I love to hear it. I also think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head because uh, at, the, at the top of the conversation with, with lunch, what's the saying that like, <laughs> you get to someone's heart through their stomach. <laughs> Definitely works with me. <laughs> Give, given those hot lunches out at Betterment, I'm going to stop by. Yeah, where's the offices? Are they in New York? They are. Yeah, in New obviously, York. right? They are uh, in New York. You might not invite everybody over, though. You need, you need to be vaccinated. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I am vaccinated. We are vaccinated. We love that. Um, and we, we love to keep it healthy and safe here. And we love that Betterment does as well. That is amazing. Um, I am going to switch gears just a little bit uh, to talk a little bit more for about Betterment for Business, the 401k offering, and Betterment for Advisors. I know the advisors that are tuning in are probably very interested in hearing more about this. You've made it super clear over the last year that those areas are ripe for growth. From your first day on the job to one year later, how have you maybe seen these B2B areas thrive since your enhanced focus on building those sectors out? It's almost amazing that I went 20 minutes without talking about the B2B businesses because they really are my passion. And, you know, when, when you asked me like, what's the uh, earlier, what's the 
sort of number one thing you've done since you've gotten here, I think in some ways kind of finding the diamond in the rough in these two businesses is I think one of the most exciting sparks that we've found in the last year. And, and you know, have incredibly talented general managers running both our employer-led business and our advisor-led business. But I think this is a great point of differentiation for our business, which is we've built a, a fabulous um, investing platform and we started by selling that platform to consumers, to retail customers. But we then realized that there are many different ways to reach that end retail consumer and that there are different types of people, right? Coming back to this idea of a personalized solution, some people are really happy with the digital solution, but for many, their very first investing experience starts through their employer, through their 401k. Mm-hmm. And for and for a third group, they really want to pick up the phone and talk to a human being and work with an advisor because that's what makes them comfortable. And so one of the things I love about our business model, which you know is really different from any of our competitors, is that we offer all three pathways. Whoever you are, you can find a comfortable way to onboard onto the Betterment platform. And so through that lens, you know, the 401k uh, business for me is particularly sort of mission aligned, right? When you think about financial wellness and you think about, we talk about like the great resignation and the fight for talent that that employers are having, one of the things they really are seeing a need for is to differentiate in the benefits space. And so it starts with a 401k for us, but what you're going to see is really an expansion into financial wellness. Um, What we did this year is we really ignited the growth and sort of proof of concept here, um, largely through distribution partnerships and automation. That was a big, big push of my early months and, and of the team, you know, as I was onboarding we pursued partnerships with folks like June and Benny and Zenefits and Lumity. And um, all of those kind of distribution partnerships have been incredible accelerants to what is already a terrific product. Um, and then we built automation that made really the product more accessible to smaller and smaller businesses. And so, you know, in, in under 10 minutes, you can onboard a company with a new 401k plan. And, you know, there's a lot of regulation right now that makes this sort of the time right for this product, which is big companies, enterprises have always given their their um, employees, uh, you know, big benefits package. Um, but but that hasn't been so much the case with smaller companies. And Social Security is really fragile, right, for this next generation as we think about sort of solving their long term financial independence questions. And this is a place where I feel particularly excited that we have an opportunity to really change the game. Yeah, I mean, the small business uh, sector, if you will, is really having a moment. Um, I think seeing a lot of maybe your favorite small businesses shut down or not be able to get the employees that they um, you know, can again, or, um, you know, I've revisited, uh, restaurants that I like love and I'm so excited even made it through the pandemic, but they are struggling. Like they had to get whole new staffs because no one wanted to come back or this or that. And so to be able to provide them, um, you know, a FinTech tech advance, right? Like something that they maybe haven't even heard of. One of my, um, you know, favorite things, uh, I guess, if you will, are stories that have happened to me recently is I have a friend and she owns uh, a tattoo shop and she's in Chinatown. She's Asian American, you know, female run tattoo shop. So I'm like always hyping her up and she's a small business owner. Business for her has actually been really good, but she has like 
six months worth of emergency savings and she has no idea what to do with it. She doesn't really know like the best way to, um, you know, give her own employees benefits. She doesn't really know what she's doing and she doesn't want to go to a big bank. She doesn't want to talk to like, you know, someone that she doesn't trust. She wants, so when she heard that I, what I was doing with FinTech, she was like, what is that? What are you doing? Oh my gosh. And I'm like, she's like, who do you recommend? And I mean, it was like really eye-opening for me. Imagine how many other people there are like that owning those small businesses and not knowing the best avenue to give their employers or even themselves the best you know, financial services possible. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, let, I mean, let me pick up on something there that, that you mentioned around emergency savings. You know, th- that that's a particularly powerful point. You know, during this COVID time, right, many folks were at work and, and realized, wait a minute, I really need a better safety net. And so one of the things that I think Betterment is really uniquely doing that's very exciting is we're starting to connect those dots for for employees around here's your 401k and here's your savings plan. But now let's also what what do you do with that next dollar, right? The government limits how much you can put aside in your 401k each year. But if you have another dollar to save, what should you do with it? And one of the things we are increasingly helping employees with is, okay, let's talk about whether you can open an IRA. Let's talk about your emergency savings fund. Let's get all of that funded so that you can have some peace of mind. And the connectivity here between our kind of holistic financial uh, set of services on the retail side and the offering we're, we're bringing to employers makes for like a really you know, beautiful connection ultimately for the end user. And that's something that really hasn't existed before and that really excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And the other thing that I think is so amazing is, um, you know, that you guys have picked up on the fact that if you can um, also uh, provide kind of offerings or products to like the financial advisory space to the to the financial professional, because that eventually does trickle into the end customer. That's something that I think I'm also super um, kind of have just covering the financial advice and planning and wealth management industry for you know a few years. I, uh, especially in the fintech space, I kind of saw where there was like that missing element of, but if like advisors use fintech and, and, or, and, um, they can trickle that kind of information and education and things to the end customer. And, um, cause you know, there are some folks who end up talking maybe to an advisor because their parents had one or whatever. So there's so many different like avenues to kind of cater to that young or female or person of color or just more diverse audience that we're seeing in financial um, services. Yeah, well, so I kind of what, love we're that. Seeing, what we're seeing in the advisor space that I think is really powerful, you know, um, we, we offer a really nice technology both for the advisor and, and what they're looking for really is, you know, back office support and practice management so that they can really focus on, you know, building their client book, right, so that we can handle the stuff they don't want to. But but And what we found is there's a lot of startup RIAs in that business every year, and it's really seamless and easy to work with Betterment. Um, but but I think what's new for us is we started to hear from um, sort of more medium size RIA shops 
that they were similarly looking for better technology, um, but they were also looking for a way to customize portfolios that they design on behalf of their clients. Mm-hmm. Right, our sort of V1, if you will, was more about managing the practice and and offering them kind of a a menu of our portfolios that they could use and leverage. But we heard repeatedly, well, we want to we want to customize our own portfolios, and and this year we actually um, launched some really nice new tools solely for advisors that allow them to do that, right? They can set up individual portfolios, whether it's for their whole practice, for an individual client. And that's been a really breakout feature for us um, because we've really found um, advisors coming to us and saying, you know what? Nobody else in the industry has tools like this that are this seamless and that also offer my end user a really great user experience. And, and so the one-two punch of both serving the you know advisor, but then also having an easy to use application and mobile application specifically you know, for the end user has been a really powerful combination. And, and I think is, again, another area that's particularly exciting for me, even though we're probably more well-known as a brand for retail customers first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, expanding that, and I am uh, only just so excited. I can only imagine how amazing uh, the uh, extra content, maybe even around that, right? Reaching financial advisors. Uh, FinTwit on Twitter is like a whole thing. You know, there's so much going on content-wise for the advisory space. Um, and I think that there's just so much room for uh, penetration for technology to um, really make a difference in that space. And, you know, when financial advisors have the tools that they need to better their practices, to customize portfolios, to do all the things for their customers, then that ends up ex- being able to expand their customer base, right? Now more people have access to financial advice. It all is interconnected. It all trickles down. And so that is awesome that you guys are kind of, um, you know, getting the full circle, the full scope of everything that you need to hit to event to inevitably uh, make the end customers' lives better and the advisors better and the financial professionals and the fintech professionals and everyone. That's the whole point. So I love that. So kind of talking about the areas that we have, you know, of the business from SRI portfolios to betterment for advisors and the 401k offering. I imagine that these are still the areas that maybe you're the most excited about when you think about heading into 2022 and you're reflective or, you know, are there any other areas that you're so excited to evolve that we haven't talked about yet? So I think I think we touched on financial wellness. And so I think, you know, we talked about the 401k and I kind of teased financial wellness, but I mm-hmm. think you can expect a lot more to come in in that lane from us um, and probably more news, you know, in the not too distant future about how we become sort of more than just a 401k on behalf of employers. So that's one really, really exciting vector. You know, the other question that we're getting a lot uh, from both advisors and uh, our retail customers is around cryptocurrency and mm-hmm. how we think about incor- starting to think about incorporating those assets into a long-term diversified portfolio. And so we're really excited about some research we're doing in, in that lane um, to really figure out, is there a way to offer more guidance and diversification and kind of strategic inclusion for the crypto curious, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe not the early adopters who, you know, were eagerly jumping on the bandwagon, but for, for po- folks who see there's real value creation here 
And in a diversified portfolio, you know, this is a $3 trillion asset class. So we're starting to think about, you know, how do you responsibly incorporate that and educate the customer along the way as, as part of the portfolio? And, and there's a lot of really exciting exploration we're doing in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, I was uh, going to try to not ask you about crypto, but I definitely wanted to. So thank you so much for bringing it up. That made my job a lot easier. <laughs> I was like, man, she probably gets asked about crypto a lot. But um, anyway, so I'm glad that you brought it up because I'm sure it's on everyone's minds. Um, but I also think, you know, it's telling, right? With crypto, it feels like you maybe have, I mean, I don't, I'm not the CEO of a fintech company, but I imagine you only have like, a couple options, right? You either, you know, slow and steady wins the race and you think really deeply about that strategy and what makes sense. And I think, you know, what, crypto curious, that should be like the headline of the, of the, um, of the blog maybe. And then, <laughs> and then there's, or you just try to race to market and you release something and, and hope that, um, it ends up okay. Or you get a part of the, the race and jump in. So, um, you know, I think, Slow and steady typically wins the race, right? So I, I, I'll be curious to see how that turns out. And I'm sure it will, um, you know, be very educational. I think that there is something to um, product releases, if you will, or product offerings that are aligned with educational content. I think that's so important, you know, so I'm excited to see how you guys like play on on that when it comes to crypto, because, you know, that's the that's probably the most like talked about thing yeah. in finance uh, right now, um, which is just it's just been a wild ride with crypto. So thank you for addressing it. My pleasure. Um, and 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 I would agree with you, right? I mean, I think slow and steady wins the race philosophically is what we know <laughs> and what we believe as it relates to investing in general. And so there's no reason why we should think about crypto really through any different lens than that, right? We try to preach, you know, behavioral finance. Uh, mottos around around long term slow and steady you know dollar cost averaging um you know starting the best thing you can do is start early because the power of mm-hmm. compounding right and so when we think about all of these themes um these are the themes that should carry us through and and so it's a, it's a fun new challenge to take those themes to a new asset class love it love it can't wait to see it and I think maybe uh, my last question for you, at least when it comes to talking shop a little bit, kind of overall, right? Betterment sits at that intersection of an established investment firm with a decade plus track record, but is also considered that innovative digital disruptor. Will you talk to us a little bit about how you plan on kind of leveraging that competitive advantage as you reflect on heading into 2022 and um, all of the things that we've talked about, kind of just like overall, where, you know, what are you excited about when it comes to that? really unique advantage for you guys? Yeah. You know, um, I, I love that question, particularly because I do think a lot about as, as any CEO needs to, right. What's our competitive advantage and what's our right to win. And, you know, you said it beautifully, right. Um, to me, it starts, I sort of think about three things when I think about our competitive advantage and, and I, I really believe all three and I continue to remind myself, right? So the first one, you know, as you think about money, experience and a track record are really distinguishing characteristics, right? FinTech, there's new companies coming and going, right? But I think a decade of history behind us really has built our brand credibility. It's built a sizable, you know, assets under management lead for us relative to many of the other FinTechs launching. And so when you think about where you're going to entrust your money, right, this is a really personal decision. I think the established track record really matters. And I feel really proud to, to be, you know, more than a decade strong. So I think that's kind of number one relative to challengers. I think that's a huge competitive advantage. 
Then I turn to the incumbents, right? Because I'm kind of being attacked on both sides, right? <laughs> so relative to the incumbents, I think you're exactly right that there, it's the innovative tech first DNA. And, and that's where I think about the competitive advantage, right? Our product is literally getting better every day, you know, back to the word betterment, right? We're always striving to be better. And this culture of continuous improvement and tech excellence, right? What's exciting about that is great engineers want to work with us and they want to make a difference. And so the ability to continue to like excite people with the idea that we're always going to be making this product better. I think that is a huge, and, and that's true of fintechs generally, but that's a huge competitive advantage, I think, relative to incumbents. And then you pair those two ideas for me with our multi-pronged distribution model. And that really is unmatched. You know, the, the mm -hmm. conversation we were having earlier about this idea that we have multiple consumer pathways to our product, you know, we really do continue to strengthen our lead by improving via employers, improving direct to consumer and improving via advisors. And I think, you know, saving is a lifelong journey and we want to support our customers on that lifelong journey. And maybe they're going to start as direct to consumer and then they're going to want an advisor later as life becomes more complicated. We need to be able to adapt to helping them build that financial independence and peace of mind. And so I think those three things together, kind of the experience and the track record, the innovation at its core, and then multi-pronged distribution really does set us apart in the marketplace. And that's what excites me. Mm -hmm. Well, can I, I was just wanted to say like, hell yeah, that whole time, because mm -hmm. I can see your passion. I can see it. If you're just listening, maybe tune over to the video because you can really see Sarah just like come alive when she talks about this. Um, it's, it's really great to see, especially from, you know, a leader and, um, kind of touching on, um, you know, representation and inclusion and all of the things that we've kind of, we've talked about when it comes to talking shop. It is so important just in the fintech space, um, overall when it comes to female leadership. It's obviously no shock that women are still so underrepresented in, uh, the fintech landscape. But I'd love to hear how an industry leader like yourself, is making sure to keep progress going in terms of gender, race, and diversity, equity in your day-to-day. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a real believer in diversity and inclusion. And, and I think, you know, again, one of the, when I think about it, I think about the impact internally and I think about the impact externally. And I really, in some ways, put more weight on the internal, right? And I think about the, the, the business I joined and then the business I want us to become, right? And the business I joined really had diversity as a key pillar and a cultural priority. And I think that was a gift um, that I, I was given. And there was also a great process that was in place to really support inclusion and belonging um, that, you know, could use enhancement, but was sort of well on the way. However, I would say the business, despite all of that, like well intention, I think the numbers in terms of representation didn't yet reflect the belief system. And, and that to me was really the opportunity when I got here. And so, you know, why build a diverse team, whether that's about gender or whether that's about ethnicity, it's good for business and it's good for the product, right? I mean, for me, having different points of view, particularly as it relates to building a personalized product is just incredibly important, right? We're serving, we're serving a generation with a financial solution, but that generation has comes in all shapes and sizes and we wanna be able to meet them, as we said, like where they are. And so having those different voices is critically important. So to me, sort of how do you move from like a great theory to great execution? 
I was told many years ago, back in my media days, that um, that what gets measured gets done, and and it's a pretty simple idea. But I do think putting explicit measurement in place is one of the keys to making sure that this doesn't fall to the bottom of the list. So, you know, we for the first time this year, we put very specific metrics in place, tied our bonuses to that measurement. And, and those metrics are in place both around representation and around participation and engagement, because I think both are equally important. Um, and as a result, everyone shows up to the party, right? And, and I think that that's, you know, really important because we need to, to cultivate a dialogue that is inclusive. And the way you're going to do that is by getting people to the door first and foremost. So, so that's kind of how I think about it internally. Um, if I think externally, you know, we talked about the fact that I was kind of an unconventional choice for this job. Mm-hmm. And look, thankfully, my board took a more expansive view of, you know, what do we want in a CEO? And, you know, I'm, I want to make them proud. I want to make that appointment work. And, and hopefully externally, the fact of my appointment can begin to have an impact externally, right? It, other boards can look and, and the more successful we are, I think the more effective this will be. But I think other, you know, boards can look at this and say, wow, they made an unconventional choice and look at the success they're having. And so that is really my hope that over time we can bear that out. Um, because I do think, if you have a curious mind and sort of a humility about what you don't know, because certainly there's a lot I don't know, mm-hmm. I think you can have a real impact. And so my hope is that others will sort of follow that lead and not be afraid to just jump in and say, you know what, I'm going to figure it out, or I'm going to surround myself with the right people who understand the things I don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I just like, I just want a round of applause. Uh, I will do it now and hopefully people will do it as they're listening. I imagine they will, uh, because Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah, for answering that question. Uh, so full. Uh, we got action items. We got personal story from you. We got, um, you know, what leaders today can do to ensure that they're creating that pathway that more women can follow or more people of color, more diverse thinkers even, right? Diversity of thought is super important as well. Um, and so thank you. Those were such amazing um, tips and things that folks can uh, take back. You know, I, for me, it's really important on this podcast to provide those tangible pieces of information or action items that someone can say, hey, I can take this back, you know, to my company and make an adjustment or make a change. And um, I love that you also talked about metrics. I definitely am a believer that you can't hit a target if there isn't one set. And so if there aren't uh, complete um, metrics in place and you tying it into um bonuses and adding kind of incentive around it. It's what we have to do to make it happen. Um, You know, it's not just a sit around and and wish and hope. You have to actually put things in place. So kudos to Betterment and to you for coming in and also, you know, uh, doing what you felt was right. Um, That is so amazing. So I also want to ask a little bit about imposter syndrome, because I think that's something that a lot of um, leaders in fintech, whether you're a female CEO or um, you know you're a person of color or you're just someone that the industry hasn't always been really catered to, especially in leadership roles, um, that comes with some unique challenges. What are some of the things that maybe you've done to help uh, get past things like imposter syndrome and really keeping your mental health in check? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, imposter syndrome has not 
been really an issue for me, I think in, in large part because I was always sort of the math science kid. I was always, you know, the, the girl who who was in the, you know, advanced chemistry class and, and really thought that was fun. Um, and so I think I was always maybe prone to end up somewhere like fintech um, mm-hmm. and was not in- intimidated by, um, you know, by the fact that there were fewer women maybe represented there. Um, but I, I think ultimately it's about a confidence in yourself, right? I mean, I think I think why women or people of color would have less of that confidence than men is just, is just upsetting. And it's something that we need to work on as a society. Um, but I think it, it does, it comes down to confidence and, and there's a little fake it till you make it right. Um, there's clearly, there's, there are clearly things I don't know, but the question is like, who, who doesn't have things they don't know. Right. And I think that's what you have to remind yourself that like, even the person who has spent an entire career in this industry or in a particular function, like you have instincts, you work with people, it's a team effort. Right. I mean, for me, it, it's all about the team. And so how do you not have imposter syndrome? You, you recognize your shortcomings or that your areas of weakness and you surround yourself with people who are strong in those areas, you know, to make you better and to make the outcome better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I love those those pieces of advice. I think it's so important to remember that it does take a village um, to create areas that make people comfortable enough to use their voices. And that's, you know, what um, your um, kind of advice is, right? And, and to have people around you that make you feel like you can be confident um, as a leader or whoever you are. Also, just like kudos to being like a math and science geek. I, I if, if only. Uh, it's very like Rory Gilmore of you uh, from G- Gilmore Girls. Exactly. Um, One I, of my well, favorite like, shows. Yeah, exactly. love that show. And then being kind of like, um, you know, being confident in your smarts. Like this is my strength. So this is what I'm always going to kind of like, almost like lean on, but then having still that humility to say, you know, I don't know everything. Um, there, I still have blind spots. I still, you know, need help. So that's where that village comes into play. So that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And then um, also really quick, curious about, you know, obviously you're a busy person with a full plate. What are some of the things that keep you balanced? You know, is it music? Is it books? Um, you know, do you go back to those science books? You get excited to learn more about <laughs> All right. Well, exactly. that's a little much science. Books, that's <laughs> She's like, where I'm not that much of a that's really where I draw the line, Nicole. Um, so, you know, I guess I would start with, I have a great husband and, you know, ha- having the right partner, I think is, is a huge, uh, hugely important choice in your life that, you know, that, that makes all the difference. Um, I have two teenage children. I would call them wonderful, but you know, there are times when they are, they are in times when they are. And um, we, we walk with our dog. My husband and I love to take long walks with our dog. She is definitely the number one family member. So that's great. <laughs> Sorry, um, I read books. I binge a lot of television. So, you know, I ended up in the TV industry for a reason in, in the, mm-hmm. my first act of my career. And, and that was really about a passion for the movies and a passion for TV. So I definitely binge, binge a lot of TV at night, in the morning, anytime I can. Anytime, anytime I get a lunch break, what are we binging these days? Um, I, I just finished, although this is not uplifting, I just finished Dope Sick, which is the Ooh. Purdue story about the opioids crisis. Really, really powerful piece of television. Um, so that, that that's the one I just finished. And, and then on the light side, we're rewatching um, 30 Rock all the way from oh, the beginning. Nice. And that I highly recommend if you just need oh, to nice. kind of unwind and oh, enjoy lovely. something. 
I know. I love a good show that kind of just makes you uh, forget about the world around you, right? Like that's, that's like the point, but one that even though you've seen it like a bazillion times, it's still just so fun to have. Maybe you play it while you're cooking or just like relaxing or talking or whatever. That's awesome. All right. So now we know what she's binge watching, seen before and just watched. Um, my final question for you, Sarah, is to just roll out the red carpet for you. Will you please tell us what the F we can expect from you and Betterment next? I know we talked about it in full, but feel free to just remind the people what you got going on next. So I think, you know, someday I think probably we could be a public company and I'd love to be one of the most enduring financial services brands for this next generation. And I think that's what keeps me going. I think financial wellness is a huge, huge part of that story um, because helping people on their financial journey, you know, throughout a lifetime is an incredibly lofty goal and we will never be done with that as a mission. And so, so I think that's like really exciting. And, and that's a place where kind of the intersection of the regulatory environment and great technology and a smart and driven, you know, workforce is, is really, I think, going to make an, an impact that is hopefully goes beyond just betterment. Um, but that is really an impact for small businesses and for society as a whole in terms of, you know, what can you expect from your employer? And, and what can you expect them to provide and help you on that long-term journey? So that's probably the most exciting kind of lofty part of the mission. Um, and then along the way, I think there's just like a lot of incremental improvement that can just keep making the product easier and easier to use and, um, you know, more and more a part of everyday life for our customers. And, and so that's what, you know, keeps me keeps me up at night or I really sleep very well. So nothing keeps me up at night. But. <laughs> we have that in common, Sarah. I sleep uh, really well as also and almost too well. So well that like it's taking me and my partner forever to finish Squid Games because I keep not because Squid Quake Games is boring at all. Trust me, it is the opposite of boring, but I just get sleepy, you know. But anyways, <laughs> love that we have that in common. Love that I have so much in common with Sarah Levy, the CEO of Betterment. That is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. Thank you again, Sarah, for joining us and happy anniversary with Betterment as CEO. Ooh, we applaud. That is so exciting. I didn't bring the champagne, but you know, it's almost, I guess, time in the day to have that. But I shake my, um, you know, not actually here champagne bottle and cheers <laughs> it to you. <laughs> thank you so much again for joining us, Sarah. And thank, thank you so you, much. Nicole. Of course. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. And until next time, I will talk to you soon.